Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. My name is Keanu. And my name is Chris. Uh, on this episode, we're talking about the South Carolina State Championship, um, which was held in North Carolina. Um, this was sparked by our topic last week, which was major match preparation. So we'll start with match um, staff and sponsors. Um, you know, obviously a lot of money goes into these matches, um, and a lot of staff and a lot of effort goes in. So we'd like to thank the match director, Michael Fritz, for putting on the match, um, getting everything organized and everything. Without people like Michael Fritz or um, anyone else who puts on the major matches, these wouldn't be possible. Um, and Red Hill Tactical was the, as well as Red Stitch Targets, both Maryland and Virginia companies um, were the primary match sponsors, so we'd like to thank them too. And I think both Chris and I have had dealings with both owners in the past, and they've all been pretty good. Yeah, Red, Red Hill Tactical puts together some really good holsters, and uh, Red Stitch has some of the best steel that I've ever shot. So anybody who shot the old North Mountain are very familiar with their steel and some great stuff. Yep, Shadowhawk as well. They just started it up too, so if you want to shoot a great level one, I highly recommend registering for their 13 April match. Um, they use all Red Stitch targets. Yep, and so just to kick it off, uh, one thing that we do want to highlight is the match structure. So... Um, for Keanu and I, this has actually been very different from any of the other majors that we've actually shot before. Um, the main thing was the half-day format. So we were shooting 10 stages in half a day. So we were shooting the AM squad on Saturday, and we actually finished probably around 1 p.m. A little um, sooner, I think, yeah. Yeah, we got onto the range at 7 o'clock. Uh, we had our stage briefing uh, for stage one at 7.30, and we were done a little bit earlier than 1 o'clock. Yeah, so it ended up being just over six hours, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, or maybe... Just under six hours, sorry. Yep. Um, and yeah, it, w it was a really smooth smooth match. Nothing ever. There was no hiccups or anything. There were We had a few backups in the beginning. I think just because of a variation in start time. Because mm -hmm. I know we were backed up to the squad uh, after us a little bit. And we had some budding with the squad coming in. They handled it very well, though. Um, yeah. As soon as they felt some of the backup happening on one of the stages before Chrono, they would just send the squad straight to Chrono. Uh, worked out very smoothly, and everybody still finished on time. Yep. Um, it was also a, um, so they did an AM and P PM relay, but uh, another interesting thing was they had two range masters this time, which I don't think you and I have ever shot a major before that had two RMs. Yeah, I haven't in the past. So the way this club was set up was they had, the range was basically split in half. You had, um, you had half of the bays on one side and the other on the other side of a um, I guess like two large berms. Mm -hmm. Um, so like one side you'd have all the vendors and everything. The other side, you were close to the parking. So that was interesting too, because I, I've never shot a major match with two range masters, but I guess that, that does make sense for a, for a range that's more spread out where mm -hmm. I actually think that makes more sense for a lot of major matches too, because it helps the match move along a lot easier. Cause I know nationals is the same thing now. I think, um, they did that last year where each zone had its own range master. Mm -hmm. And it definitely cuts down a lot of time. If there is a discrepancy on a call, yeah. uh, range masters were generally there very quickly, and you weren't waiting around three, you know, three to ten minutes waiting for them to come to talk to the ROs about it. Yeah, it was. If there was any need for the RM to come, they did a really good job um, getting to the stage quickly, mm -hmm. and there were very little hangups or delays or anything like that. Yeah. Um, another thing is, I think our favorite part was the fact that we had no pasting. Absolutely none. Yeah, so it was... I think that this was a little bit more expensive than your average 10-stage level 2. Was it $185 for the match? Oh, I don't know. One, I want to say $150. Uh-huh. I think it's a little bit more than I pay for most level 2s, um, other than Florida. Mm -hmm. But the nice part was there was no pacing. All the ROs on the stage 
were uh, would would do all the pacing and everything. Yep, they'd reset the steel. Yep. Uh, the really good part about it too is I think all the squads were capped out at eight shooters per squad. Yeah. So when you had eight shooters with the ROs doing all the pacing, the resetting, the, the match was just moving so fast. It was awesome. Yeah. And speaking of which, um, the you want to talk about the walkthroughs? And yeah. How they, yeah. There were three minutes instead of five minutes. I know in USPSA we're used to five-minute walkthroughs. Um, but I think they were telling us in on Friday when we were doing our uh, the, the our day before mm-hmm. walkthroughs that because of the timing and everything, the RM decided that the – walkthroughs would be three minutes instead of five minutes which i actually really really liked Mm -hmm. um not only did it emphasize getting to the range on the day beforehand or getting there early especially if you're shooting pm relay um you had a lot more time than we did uh, when we were shooting am relay so it it really emphasized i think getting to the match early Mm -hmm. watching everything just doing your prep uh as you should be you know reading the, the matchbook beforehand and then going to actually walk the stages the day before it makes you be a lot more concise Mm -hmm. um with with how you plan out your stages too. Yeah, and so the match, especially with the three-minute walkthrough, it really uh, awarded shooting stages kind of straight up uh, as you see that. Uh, well, excuse me, as you see them. Um, simple planning and clean execution definitely. Uh, yeah, those took the those, those took the crown. Mm-hmm. It trumped some of the more complex stage plans uh, because, again, with the three-minute walkthrough, you didn't want to overload your brain, kind of what you're going to do and how you're going to execute. Yeah, especially with um, with everyone lining up and everything. Mm-hmm. I know, like all of that takes time with people trying to do their walkthroughs and everything like that. So really three minutes is a lot less time than you think, or five minutes is as well, but like three minutes really like, you know, crunches time. So you pretty much had enough time to identify all the targets, you know, come up with a quick plan, um, walk it through, refine it, and then, you know, run it over in your head over and over and over again. And then just so you could solidify it into your, um, in, in your shooting. Yeah. It definitely helped the match move along a lot quicker as well. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I, I think I think the biggest takeaway from that is not is isn't just the the flow of the match, mm-hmm. because I mean that's cumulatively a lot of time for every squad shooting. Um, it's I think it really was I think it did put an emphasis on execution and simple planning, but fortunately n- none of the stages were too, like nothing was too crazy, was mm-hmm. it? I, I don't I don't think so. There's maybe one stage that we'll touch on later. Um, that was probably the most complex. One or two, I, I think stage stage five and stage. Seven were mm-hmm. the more confusing stages, but every everything else other than that, like you had options. Yep. But there was nothing like. I think you would have had to try to get FDSAs. Yeah, uh, and it was just a lot harder to game those stages, uh, just because of the way that they were designed, which was both good and bad. But again, with the three minute walkthrough, I think it worked out perfectly. Yeah, like there were options. There were a lot of options. Don't get us wrong, but I think once you came up with a plan, you had to stick with it pretty much because there wasn't enough time to come up with you know, three different plans and then try and determine which one is best after watching a bunch of shooters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's actually a good segue. So we're actually going to talk about the stages, uh, from the matchbook, the most stages were actually much smaller than anticipated. Uh, it was, it was kind of hosey, but there was actually a lot of no shoots and some hardcover. Yeah. Like in the, I I know the matchbook never follows the, uh, or uh, the, the actual setup never follows the matchbook identically, but I guess in SketchUp, Stages always look bigger than they really yeah. are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm not really. I was kind of surprised to see because, especially on the um, on the side closer to the parking lot, the stages got a lot smaller. Yeah, you had a lot less space to um, to build the stages, so it, it felt a little bit more cramped. But I don't think it was you know necessarily a bad thing because I I think the the MD or the stage designer already did a good job coming up with you know hardcover 
no shoots and stuff, which Chris said there was actually a lot of. Like yeah. th- this is more than most other majors I've shot um, so far in terms of no shoots and hardcover. Mm-hmm. But like otherwise, like I don't think it was you know nothing stood out too much. Yeah, and you know the the ones that did stand out, we're going to talk about uh, yeah as well. Yeah, and you could tell they're all like most of them were from the same stage designer too. So like we, we, there were a lot of shoot uh, you know start in the end draw into the right shoot into the left or mm-hmm. do the opposite or something like that and there were a couple stages with like middle ports more than a couple stages with, with middle ports that you have to shoot through yeah so it was you, you could tell they were all designed by the same person mm-hmm. or most of them were not that that's a bad thing i yeah not at all yeah it it, it helps with the it helps with the uh setup and everything like mm-hmm. that um helps it move along a little bit better on the days before the match. Yeah. Uh, definitely give a shout out to the ROs that were on the stages though, because uh, these were some of the cleanest shooting areas that I've seen with brass. I've never seen a shooting area this clean. It was fantastic. The, like before we got there, you know, you'd see the ROs raking the shooting area, picking up brass and everything, you know, cleaning it out. And they wouldn't even let us like, they wouldn't even consider giving a stage brief or anything until they're done cleaning the stage. Or at least they would let us do the walkthrough and then they clean the stage before they have a shooter coming up. So that was like that was exceptional. The, the match staff really did a really really good job, and I can't I can't thank them enough for this. Yeah, I, one of the stages it almost looked like a little Zen garden because of the way that they had yeah. Rigged it. it was it was, it, it was like stepping on the green. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they didn't have the nice uh, crossed uh-huh. cross lines though. So yeah, um, it was it was nice. Yep. Uh, so the stages we want to talk about. So I think the main takeaway for most of the stages is that they were very steel heavy, uh, which is not some were. Yeah, some of them were, which is not surprising given that uh, Red, Stitch, Red Stitch Targets was one of the title sponsors. Uh, so the first stage we want to talk to you is or talk about is stage four. Um, this isn't a steel stage, by the way. This is just a stage we had. Like everything, nothing was crazy about it. Nothing was stupid about it. Um, really, the only thing we had to talk about was the swinger. So in the very end position, when you come in, um, there is an activator steel uh, that would. It was a full size popper, and it was a fall forward popper too so it's going to be inherently slower to activate than a you know falling backwards popper um not that it, that's really a big deal mm-hmm. but the issue was or we don't know even know if it's an issue or it's just something that like that's just how it was um the swinger was really slow to come out so i came into the position and i shot one paper target i shot the half no shoot uh target i shot the steel and then i shot the low target and then the high target too so i shot two targets before in activation that was a low to high transition and then transition to the swinger by the time i've gotten to the swinger it wasn't there yet it's probably so, a good second before it activated once you're i wouldn't say out. a second probably a half a second uh-huh. though it was it was definitely a wait yeah and the, the two targets that Keenan was talking about they weren't exactly easy targets well, either, one, one was an open target the high target was about an open target at probably about 10 12 yards 10 to 12 uh-huh. yards so that's not necessarily hard but then i think the issue would be the or the hardest part would be the transition from mm-hmm. the half hardcover target sitting low and then not trying not over transitioning to a high target. Yeah. Even though it's an open target, but it's still a high target, so you still, you know, a lot of people still tend to over muscle the gun in that, mm-hmm. tra- in that kind of transition. And then bringing the gun over to the swinger too and bringing it exactly where you want it. Yeah, but w- with that sequence, you know, of three targets essentially, it was, it was very slow for that yeah. swinger. I'm I think not- you could have done three targets and uh-huh. then after the steal, and then you still would have had more than enough time to hit the swinger on the first pass. Yeah, and we're still unsure whether it was actually a range malfunction or not. Um, I did see it stutter a couple times. I think when John was shooting, I saw the swinger actually stutter before activating. Yeah, um, and, and the ROs weren't 
exactly sure either. Mm-hmm. But we watched it the day before. It was not a, it was not a fast swinger by any yeah. means. It was already very very slow. Mm-hmm. So uh, just a just a weird nuance in that stage. But it wasn't. I, I don't think that was a hard stage though. It, it wasn't. It, it really rewarded you know a simple stage plan and just playing to your strengths pretty much. Yeah. So. And there was a good. There's a little bit of shooting on the move and. It was nice because, like, off the draw, you had to sh- you you pretty much had to shoot hardcover or no shoot or something like mm-hmm. that, depending on the side you started. Yeah, so you can just rip the gun out of your holster and start blasting away. Yeah, well, I think you could have, depending on how you wanted to shoot the stage. But if you wanted to shoot the stage like you and I planned mm-hmm. to back out of the start position, I think that would have been um, you would have had pretty much had to draw to a hardcover target, yeah. two hardcover targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so then on to stage five. So that was, I think that was probably maybe the hardest stage of the day. Yeah, I would say the hardest. It was also the longest field course. Yeah. Um, it, it had in the in most, terms of shooting paper, though, I think that was the hardest stage we had. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it also had probably the largest bay to set up on. So oh, yeah. it was definitely a lot larger of a stage to shoot. Um, there were actually a lot of DQs on the stage. Um, yeah, so I yeah. actually DQ'd on the stage. Um, and when we were talking to the ROs prior to shooting it, uh, we also found out that some people had DQ'd there as well. Um, but pretty much where, where that DQ came was from the first position that most people took, which was the far back left corner. Yeah. Um, there's very little space between the rear fault line and the wall. Maybe uh, a foot and a half, I think. Yeah. And so they had a, they had a hard lean uh, pe- with the target parallel to the wall. So after you finish that target, you really have to bring that gun in before you actually start moving. Uh, unfortunately for me, I slipped on the fault line as I was moving. So my gun hit the wall. And so I ended up breaking the 180. Yeah, our uh, our friend and squad mate actually had that had the same thing happen mm-hmm. to him, but I don't think it was an issue of slipping. It was just because he didn't pull the gun in far enough, which it sucks. But sometimes that's just what you have to do, and a lot of people don't realize how you know, like the gravity of a wall that's that close to the muzzle. But all it takes is one bump, and then you're done. Yeah, and that's all he did too. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you know you just take that extra half second to make sure the gun's tucked in all the way yeah. uh, before you come out of position. And you know those those tight walls will really get you. Whether it's a presentation on the left or a presentation to the right, it's really easy to drag your gun across that wall and it'll just be yeah, an just instant getting, 180 break. Just getting out of the position is a pain in the butt. So I don't know if that was a thing they realized in setting up the match or just something they did realize anyway and didn't bother because they figured, oh, if you DQ on this stage, you deserve to DQ. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I didn't think it was too bad. It wasn't. Um, like, I think all of our squad got through it and most squads got through it pretty well, but... Um, the fact that they had multiple DQs, like, consistently on that one portion, I think that says a lot mm-hmm. about how, the, how it was set up. But yeah, aside from the DQ, um, you know, the this, this stage was actually pretty well done. So it gave you a lot of options because it was somewhat of a memory stage. Yeah. You could see, I would say, maybe about four or five targets. Yeah, you could from see four or five positions. targets from multiple positions, yeah. When, whether it was from the beginning or, like, any of the right or left side or in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gave you a lot of options to shoot those targets, so I, I feel like if you're shooting production or a low cap division, it wouldn't have impaired you too much. Yeah. Other than other than you know being very punishing on accuracy, because mm-hmm. if you weren't calling your shots and you were taking makeups like crazy. Yeah, I'd know, say maybe about half the targets there were uh, danger targets, hardcover, no shoots. Uh, about half the c- yeah. targets, but two of the hardcover targets weren't very hard because mm-hmm. it was just no shoot going up to the Charlie. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad, or no shoot going up to the, I think just the edge of the Alpha. Mm-hmm. So on the right or left side. So it wasn't too bad. Um, 
Probably the hardest presentation was from the middle port. You had two targets at probably about 25 yards. Yeah, from the middle port or, or the start position, depending on which one you wanted to do, you had a you had two targets with a no shoot in between them at, 20, at about 25 yards. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't... If, if you can shoot, you know, very well, and if you, you know how, you know your gun, and you know your sights, and you know how to, and if you can press the trigger straight, so, you know, if you can shoot straight, I think that's not necessarily a hard thing to do, but the issue was, this, like, that target was blended in a, in a position where you'd be shooting open targets too, mm-hmm. or, um, you'd be shooting open targets before that position, so you're already in the mindset, like, you'd have to change gears, you know, going into that position saying, alright, I need to know, I have to see my front sight. I have to grip the gun and I have to press the trigger straight and I can't mess this up. And I think we had, there were a lot of mics because people were aiming too far away from the no shoot that they ended up, you know, 25 yards may aim into the Charlie. It leaves a lot of room for error to miss, uh, whether it's going to be up or down or right to left. So I think we, there were, we saw a lot of mics in our squad from that. Yeah. And especially with, you know, at 25 yards, uh, one thing that we noticed about this match in general is that there's a lot of throttle control. Yeah, um, there's a lot of positions where they'll let you shoot an open target, at, you know, ten yards or and even then, closer. Yeah, and then the next position would be, you know, a 25 yard partial where you really got to, you know, like Kano said, focus on the front side, get that good trigger prep, and pull straight back. Yeah, or even like even even in some cases it would be like you know you transition from an open target and all of a sudden you're on half a no shoot or a headshot or something like that or like or a half hard cover target. So it it really made you like just in transitions alone, not even in you know, not even in distance. Um, like on simple arrays, it really made you, you know, make sure you knew what you were doing. And I, I feel like this is more like if if you're a you know M A M or G M, and you're more comfortable with this kind of thing, and you're used to shooting partials and stuff like that, whether in practice or in or or you're just well traveled from matches, it was less of an issue. But I think we saw a lot of punishment for we had a lot of newer shooters on our squad, um, and you know a few of them this is their first major. Um, it, it was it was punishing to them. Mm-hmm. It, it it definitely took a toll on them because because of the changing gears they're not quite used they weren't quite used to it. Um, I don't think Chris and I didn't have too much of an issue with it. Well, I, I, I didn't get to shoot that target, so. <laughs> well, but in general for, for yeah, the match, uh-huh. yeah. So yeah, and one thing that came to us, especially as you start practicing more, is one of the things we'll practice indoors is we'll shoot twenty five yards. Um, yep. It's just one of those things that eventually you start practicing. You start practicing for you know drawing two shots on head boxes at twenty five yards. It's just a part of the training that comes usually once you're more confident. With closer targets, and you know you're getting used to running your build drills and your doubles. Yeah. So, especially for new shooters, it's definitely hard, but it's one thing that you should definitely practice. Is again shooting out to 25 yards. It's very helpful to know you know what your gun is doing at that distance, what your ammo is doing at that distance. Yeah, it's it's good to, it's good to learn how the behavior is going to change mm-hmm. in the shooter and in the gun. Um, I guess not even the gun because the gun's going to be consistent. It's just yep. how you're going to see the sights and how much information you need when you press mm-hmm. the trigger. Yeah, but. Funny thing is, the next stage, stage six, will actually even push that skill even further. Yep, it was it was quite literally a complete, um, you know, throttle control stage where you had to go from hosing targets from like what, like three yards or something like that. I would say maybe it was about three feet. Uh, they had a port on the left and right side of an unloaded table start. Uh, you had four targets. I, they it were, was almost muzzle distance if you had long enough arms. Yeah, they were danger targets, so part of them were tuxedos. Half of them tuxedos, and the other half were uh, half no-shoots, yeah. going up to like half of the alpha, I think. So again, uh, you'd pretty much pick up the gun, you'd load it, you'd go hose out You know, four targets at three feet, and then yeah. you're presented with the middle port, which had, I think, 
was it three regular size poppers? It was or? three. It was three full size poppers, I think, and two mini poppers, uh-huh. and set they were set to thirty five or forty yards. Yeah, <laughs> but which is by far the hardest shot of the match. Um, and this is probably of of any level two I've shot. That's that was probably the hardest level two shot I've mm-hmm. seen. Um, Delmarva twenty seventeen maybe had a harder shot uh-huh. with a six with like an eight inch plate at forty yards behind hardcover. <laughs> um, that's besides the point. But um, yeah, it was it it really emphasized it was throttle control, but it was also like you had to in your transitions onto the paper targets alone. You had a lot of room for error if you weren't perfect, mm-hmm. or at least you know if you weren't close to perfect, because you know you start to transition a little too soon at that distance, you're going to pull the gun into the hard cover on tuxedo, yep. or you let the or you 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 losing your grip a little bit on the half hard cover or on the half no shoot, and you're going to end up plugging a no shoot because mm-hmm. you weren't gripping the gun hard enough and it dips in recoil or coming back to battery. But yeah, I think I, I think the most people will be pretty similar on time on the paper targets. But on the further targets, that's really where a lot of people gain time. Yeah, it's a time suck for some yeah. people. I, I made the mistake of so I've been practicing shooting mostly, almost entirely target focused, um, and I managed to get away with it on the thirty-five yard yeah. full size popper. But trying to do that on mini poppers is it was punishing for me. I think I gained a couple seconds, mm-hmm. and I had one of the fastest times in limited on that. I, yeah. I was third on that stage, I think third or fourth on that stage. Um, it it was just punishing because if, you know, when you come out from hosing a target into, you know, or hosing two arrays into all of a sudden shooting 35, 40 yards, then you're, you know, you're, you're going to mess up bad if you don't have any visual control or, you know, or trigger control or anything like that. And even just visual patience, whether you're shooting a dot or iron sights. Uh, this is usually where you'll see the newer shooters, you know, cursing under their breath, regripping the gun, uh, you yeah. know, telling themselves, you know, prep the trigger, prep the trigger. Yeah. Um, this was really a stage where I think optics shine, though, because I think the one care optic shooter on our squad, I, I think he shot, I think he had the fastest time on our squad, I think so. too. He, he probably went clean one for one in the steel. Um, Close to, yeah. yeah. He only had a couple makeups, mm-hmm. maybe. And I, I only had two or three makeups, but doing it with iron sights is a lot harder on, on mini yeah. poppers at that distance than anything else, so... I guess in practice, sometimes I'll have to do 35 to 40 yards. Yeah. Um, and then on to the next stage. So um, stage seven, uh, it was kind of a memory stage. It was like, it was a bunch of Ipsic targets, mostly in the middle, and they were all separated by walls, and you had to shoot through diagonal slats in the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, I think, on our squad shot identically. There weren't too many options. Even when you're shooting, like going from production to, uh, to limited, to open, or to carry optics, you had to go into certain positions regardless. Yeah. And it was just really depending for like the only difference in division would be your reload positions. Yeah, I would say more so. Or less, right? And and th- I saw some shooters shoot it a little bit differently than the norm, but pretty much what that was doing is that you're I think you're putting six targets in a port instead of going to one port for three targets and another one for yeah. three targets. But And I watched I watched Ben Barry's video um who was third place in production, I think. So congrats to him on that. Um I think he shot exactly the same as me, and he's shooting production, I'm shooting limited. Yeah. The only difference was into the middle, coming into the crouch or the squat, mm-hmm. I think. I think he did a reload there. But otherwise, there like there weren't that many ways to shoot it. Um, it was kind of a memory stage. I wouldn't really necessarily... It was... I think it was easier than the big field course we shot because there were... 
you had a few multi, like you know duplicate target presentations, mm-hmm. but even then, it wasn't like you know you you still had most targets. Yeah, I think that you had to shoot from certain positions, so it made it very clear. Yeah, I think if you went left to right, I think there was only two ports where you might have doubled up on three targets, but after that, yeah. it was pretty much shoot it as you see it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that crouching target, though, one thing that I did notice for a lot of the shooters was that they were getting really low on, I think, the last diagonal port. Um, way lower than I've seen some people actually go, so I think that was a time suck for a lot of people. I think they, they got somewhat nervous with the presentation of the diagonal, I guess the downward diagonal port. Yeah. And so some people were almost on their knees trying to get that target, but I don't, I don't think it was necessary for a lot of people. No, and this stage was also a lot of open targets, too. I think there were a couple of no-shoots, a couple of pieces of hard cover sprinkled in. There, it was nothing outrageous. And the targets, like, even in the middle, how far do you think they were? Seven yards? Pro- I, probably Seven, the, eight yards? The furthest one was probably maybe about 12 to 15, which was on the first targets on, on the, the left. On the draw, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Of course, that was the that was the stage where I had my only mic, yeah. which I shot on a... Uh, I shot through a slat, backing out, and then I guess my second shot... I called my first shot good, and then I got kind of sloppy on the second shot, and it ended up going through the barrel, which... Um, they called him Mike. So, Win some, you lose some, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I get for trying to not suck at shooting. Yeah. Um, so stage eight. This was probably the uh, I don't want to say maybe the flagship stage, but this is the one. It was the, the most contentious stage, yeah. I think, <laughs> with, yeah. with people. So this one, this had the uh, red stitch targets, Polish plate rack. So I think they call it the modular competition system, something like that. It was basically it was a Polish plate rack without weights, basically. Yeah. Um, it was probably, I'd say, maybe like 10 to 15 yards, no more than 15 yards away. Um, uh, yeah, at worst, 15 yards away. Yeah, and so so for this stage, you know, most of the people who were losing time were losing it on the Polish plate rack. Uh, I, I saw a lot of lost time on the steel swinger, too. Yeah. Yeah, so um, for those of you who didn't shoot it, basically when you started, you, you could either start, um, it was three windows. One window had paper and three mini poppers. No one had issues with that. And then the second, the middle port had the uh, red stitch plate rack thing, and then the other, the the port on the right, I think, which most people started on, had a popper, a steel swinger behind three pieces of steel hardcover. Yeah. Um, and it was two, it, it was two square plates. I think I want to say they were five, six inch plates. Yeah, I would say they so. weren't big. They were they were not, and it, I think it was on almost like a three prong star with the weight on one, and the two were just swinging back and forth. Yeah, um, and it was on a right to left. You had to shoot on each side of the hardcover. Yeah, which the shot felt kind of claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on this, both sides. This stage in particular, this this is what ate a lot of time for people. Yeah, um, again, uh, if you don't have that visual patience on that Polish plate rack, it'll kind of freak you out when you see everything moving. But once you shot it in order, it actually didn't seem to move too fast. Um, but again, as you know, shooting a Texas star or whatnot, it all requires that visual patience yep. uh, to make it through. Yeah, you have to be able to you know track the target, track the sights, and you have to know when to press the trigger. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I, th- I think there was a way you could shoot it where basically it would be perfectly vertical, and then you could clear it like it was a vertical plate rack. Yeah, I think if you took the big plates on either the left or the right, it would orient itself yeah. upright, and you can almost just take it like a... Yeah, a I, don't, I, I don't like to do that for pretty much any any moving steel target. I'll just shoot targets as I see them. Um, like on Texas Star, I'll just go mm-hmm. in a clockwise direction. On this one, I just went top, top rack, bottom rack, and it worked fine for the most part. I think yeah. I had like one or two makeup shots. So it wasn't the cleanest, but 
you know, like I wasn't trying to overthink mm-hmm. it. I just wanted to execute it. Didn't want to worry about anything because, like we said at this match, clean execution did make a huge difference. Yeah, which it does at every single match. Mm-hmm. Don't don't get us wrong, but I think um, coming up with a concise stage plan, like we said, with the three minutes, that did make a difference in how you're running the stages. Yeah, and if you watch Chris Tilly shoot, I know he posted some videos recently. Um, there there was nothing fancy about the stage plans. It was just yeah. you know it was just clean execution. and He absolutely crushed it. Yeah, um, which we'd hope he does. Because, yeah, you know, world champion, national champion. Yep, super grand champ. Yep, super grand champ. Uh, but an interesting thing though is that uh, I know Keanu has some strong feelings about plates and majors. But one thing that we plates find, and USPSA matches in general, because yeah. <laughs> you know we we ran so many matches where you'd have to go through no shoots because of malfunctions or plate malfunctions. The reshoots. Plate rack, yeah, reshoots. Um, but this one was surprisingly very clean. Yeah, um, and it, it's not normal. So normally, like, it will be brought up. Like I, I saw in a in a Facebook in a Facebook thread with Jim McBurnett, who's in RM. He was the RM at Area Eight. He he brought up the fact that uh, NROI isn't always the most lenient with plates, and of course, especially with you know, you know moving moving plates, that adds a lot of time for resetting. And a lot adds a lot more that can go wrong with plates. And basically, basically the biggest issue with plates at a major match would be range equipment malfunctions, so they can fall prematurely, um, or like it's you can't calibrate them, so you you can't do you you have a lot less flexibility. And holy crap, the spall! I hate the spall. The spall on yeah. plates is always really bad. Mm-hmm. So you know, like Chris said, I have strong feelings. If it were up to me, I would never ever use plates. At any USPSA match ever, it would only be poppers. Um, but we don't have a perfect world. Yep, and it worked out very well for this match. Yeah, yeah there were we had no REFs or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was it worked very very well. So you know, again, I'm not the biggest fan of plates, but good for South Carolina. Yep, and also good you know, for the sectional. Shout out to Red Stitch. You know their t- their targets worked very well. Um, yeah, nobody had issues with it. So yeah, e- everything ran smoothly, um, despite my own distaste yeah. for. Certain kinds of steel targets. Um, that was the only stage I had malfunctions on, though. Yeah, because so. <laughs> uh, a certain other human being in this room with me crushed my magazine. I wouldn't say crushed. on stage three. Gently loved with both my feet. Have you seen yourself? You crush. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, he, he stepped on my magazine, which it's probably on stage three. Stage or three, four, I think. Right? Yeah. yeah, or stage four, I think. Uh huh. And for those of you who shoot 2011s, you would know that 2011 magazines can be very finicky. And um, as with any self-loading magazine-fed gun, the magazine reliability is paramount to the entire reliability of the gun. So I, I took the magazine after Chris stepped on it, and I stripped it apart. I cleaned it and everything. I took it to the safe area empty, and I ran it in the gun, and then it was, seemed fine. So like, I don't think the tube was bent or anything. If anything, maybe the feed lips were a little bit messed mm-hmm. up. Um, but then I ran it for the next three stages, yeah. and it worked completely fine. And, of course, on the, on the second to last stage, it decides to take a dump on me. So um, this is just a fair word of warning, guys. If if you have any shadow of a doubt of your equipment... Swap that magazine. Yeah, swap that magazine. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're shooting 2011s, you should have more than a belt's worth of magazines, so you can always swap magazines out as you need them. So, actually, I still have to take that magazine to the range and see if that was just a one-time fluke. And if I can run a few hundred rounds through it without an issue, then I'll call it good. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're paying for a new magazine. <laughs> I'll pay for a new follower, maybe not a new magazine. It wasn't even so. the follower; it's probably the feed lips. You can pay for a tuning kit because you probably need one too. Uh, my MBX mags run fine out of the box. So. All right, this is not an ad. Yeah, we're not paid by MBX. We are not. I don't like their base pads. 
I don't, I don't use MDX magazines, so. Uh, yeah. Um, you want to talk about stage 10, though? I think that one, that was the stage we started on. That was the stage we started and on. And that was um, a stage a certain tall giraffe friend had an issue with. Yeah, so this is the stage, I think they called it American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Uh, this was a stage, it was actually pretty straightforward. Um, I think the hardest part about it is that there was a plank that you had to either walk through or shoot through, um, as well as a Cooper Tunnel. Um, for this particular stage, I think stage planning was a little bit more important because you could actually shoot the entire stage without having to shoot on the plank. Um, I know some people chose to shoot on the plank, others did not. Yeah, I did. I shot um, on the plank. I shot one target on the move on the plank mm -hmm. to get in the next position. Um, if, if you guys know me, you guys know I like to shoot on the move and take targets on the move as much as I can. So I try and take advantage and leverage myself to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, not only is it, is it a good skill to have, but I, I think in certain stages it cuts down on time tremendously. It definitely does, especially you know if, if there's another shooting position very close by, it'll help you get there. Yeah. Uh, gun up, you know, you're already focused on your sights or on the targets. Yeah, especially for certain matches too, um, whether level one or level two, you're going to see a few stages where it's penalizing to shoot standing still as opposed to yeah. shooting on the move. So anyway, I shot one target on the move on the plank, and I'm always a little like slower on that because it's a plank. But I think this was a bigger plank than usual. Mm -hmm. It was about ten or twelve inches across. I'd say, was, yeah, I'd say maybe closer to a foot. I wouldn't say it was as big as a foot. Um, yeah, but it was definitely a lot wider than some of the planks that I've shot on. Which for was, sure, for sure, which yeah, great. yeah. I, I think for some of the majors, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we definitely shot off of some like five inch planks. Mm -hmm. I think Area 8 last Area year. 8 had a plank. I don't remember what it was, though. I DQ'd out of mat that match, so who yeah. cares? Uh, it, it, was pretty it was a pretty you know, narrow plank, which, you know, for me, I wanted to bypass this one completely since I had the option to. Yeah. And um, in Florida, uh, Florida State this year, there was a... Uh, it was basically a narrow telephone pole. The issue wasn't the plank itself. It was the issue that the way it was attached to the ground, mm -hmm. it was extremely wobbly. So I basically didn't want to spend any time on it as, at, uh, like, at all. But yeah. then on this one, it was totally fine. I didn't cause it didn't cause me any issues. Um, but how about that? Uh, how about the Cooper Tunnel? I, I know for people your size, yeah. you can fit in it a little bit better than than you know normal height people like me. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this Cooper Tunnel actually was that they said that they were not going to give procedurals for disturbed planks on the Cooper Tunnel, only but it, ones that fall. Yeah. So I actually knocked one with my head just slightly coming out of position, but uh, they did not give you a procedural for that. Um, we have a friend who's about nine feet tall. Give or take uh, nine feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we actually had a casualty. So one of his Alpha X pouches got caught on entrance. To yeah, the just Cooper sheared tunnel. off. Yeah, it's there's no way that thing's going back on. Uh, but the Cooper Tunnel itself, it wasn't too bad, especially because that they were not penalizing you for disturbing a plank. Yeah, it wasn't that short either. I think it was probably around four feet tall. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't. It wasn't the worst thing. Yeah, but it, it was great because, you know, it, it forces you to exit fast. Yeah, you only have two targets at the very end, so just to get in the exit position, you know, you're only shooting for 20 points. Mm -hmm. It really forces you to get out of that position quickly. Um, I tried to, I, I, shot the, I shot the Cooper Tunnel exiting. I shot the last target moving out of the Cooper Tunnel. I think it actually saved me a lot of time, Yeah, you know, trying to do a hard exit out of the Cooper Tunnel. Um, and then I think in, in, into the last target, it was like a half no-shoot and then an open target. Yeah, but it really you. I think I think if you wanted to do well on that stage, you had to get out of that tunnel fast because you've spent a lot of time. The more time you spent in the tunnel, the worse it was. It was going to be for you. 
Not like there were. It was a hard tunnel to shoot through either. There were only three targets to go through, and it was yeah. like one partial in there, I think. But you know, I think it was probably about a twenty-second stage average for most people. And again, most of the time, suck would have been trying to get out of that tunnel. I think twenty stage is. I think it's good for that stage depending um, on the division you shoot. I know for limited, if you're shooting sixteen to twenty, you're going to be in the upper, you know, the, the the upper quarter. Yeah, and same with open. You know, it's you know twenty seconds would have been good, and but most of that time was coming out of that tunnel. You'd see most people on the videos. They're crushing through the first part of it, and then usually it's the Cooper Tunnel that takes up the most time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, like, I did want to point out, though, in this stage, the very first shots you had to take, immediate, like, 120-degree transition. Yeah. Which is great. Like, it, it, it was great, and it was a transition to a headshot, too. Yeah. So, I, 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 like, I like that a lot. It really forces you to like, practice hard transitions or wide transitions, which, thankfully, I've done... Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, you know, if you transition at the speed of grandma, you're, you're, you were going to gain easily over a second just shooting two targets, transitioning to that position. Yeah. So that that, that was a cool, like, nothing special, but it was a cool aspect of that stage because mm-hmm. that stage had a lot going on with it, like more than met the eye. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was an easy to shoot through stage, but then just the nuances in that stage made it, I wouldn't say more difficult. But it was the difference between a good hit factor and a it, mediocre hit it factor. It was the difference between a good shooter and a, and a, and a mediocre shooter or a mediocre shooter and a bad shooter. It mm-hmm. really differentiated yeah. um, uh, shooter skill just, just in those small things. Yeah. And speaking of which, I think all the hit factors were pretty high, too. I would, I would say so, yeah. We were about, I think, all five plus. Uh-huh. If you had good runs, yeah. Yep. Um, I think we're running a little over on time, so you... We'll get to the match results. Yeah, so just a shout-out to Chris Tilley. He won uh, overall as well as the open win. Um, John Browning had the limited win. Uh, production had Jacob Hetherington. Yeah, uh, and um, for those of you who don't know, John Browning and Hetherington are both their, their practice buddies, too, and they both, both shoot for AMU. And, you know, AMU's put out some of the best USPS, USPSA shooters in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I guess, IPSC shooters, too, if you want to yeah. think about it that way. Um, our own Keanu had the uh, limited M win for this match. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the limited ten shooter who had a DQ. <laughs> the only limited ten shooter. Only limited beat himself. Shooter. Yep. Uh, shout out to Kyle who also DQ'd and uh, to me Chris as well on a DQ. So yeah, I, I bought I bought Kyle and and Chris and Dairy Queen after the match. We had to drive forty thir- minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like thirty or forty minutes just to get Dairy Queen for you guys. But you know what? You deserved it. Yep. It, it was well earned. But you know, both of you guys stayed champs through the through the DQ. So. Again, it happens, and you know, there's you no to deal with it. No what reason happened, being salty happened, right? about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but overall, I think it was a really good match. The, it was very, very well run, and the half day format was really, really nice. And the weather could—I could not have asked for better weather. Seventy degrees it was perfect. Yeah, and a little bit of cloud cover. Uh huh. It was beautiful, and we like to thank our friend Zach, who is also Kyle. Um, it's we call him Kyle for reasons. Re- yeah, <laughs> reasons. Back. Um, he coordinated with Mike Fritz on getting us all in the same squad and group registering. So thanks to both of them for, you know, doing that for us. Yep. Um, and he also did the Airbnb for us. Yeah, he so, pretty much helped us plan the entire trip out. So yeah. shout out to Zach. Yep. And, and, and again, a shout out to the match staff. They did a, you know, fantastic job. Match designer did a great job. Mike Fritz, uh, the, as the MD, did a great job. Um, the RMs were very respectful mm-hmm. for any issues we were having. So, like, you know, overall, this is a fantastic match. And I think both you and I are planning to go again yep. next year. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning into this ESRG podcast, guys. I'm Keanu. And I'm Chris. Shoot well. We'll see you on the range.